Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning to celebrate Pastor Matt's installation, and I pray that you will empower me with your Holy Spirit to speak your word and do justice to it. And may you give us all open hearts and mind to receive it and be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's such a privilege to be here uh, to celebrate one of my favorite people on this earth, Matt Robbins. And one thing Matt said was true, that all good ideas come from joy. <laughs> I have had first-hand experience of it when I would preach at University Covenant Church. Matt would say, hey, you should mention this. This, this will be good. And later on, I would realize that was the dumbest idea. It made someone mad. <laughs> One time, you know, they were moving to Ghana, and they left this desk. And it was sitting in the garage, and we moved into that house. That house hosted many missionaries and pastors. And then we moved from that house, and somehow I lost that desk that belonged to Matt. So Matt wrote me, uh, texted me, said, hey, Hannah really needs the desk back. And I said, we lost it somehow. And Matt said, oh, that desk has been in our family for 100 years. <laughs> My grandmother's mother passed it on, and finally it got passed on to Hannah. This rich, it's a rich tradition. Uh, who's going to break this news to Hannah? This is going to devastate him. And I was feeling horrible. Horrible. Like I was like, Jesus, forgive me. Then I realized he was joking. <laughs> this is the nature of our relationship. You know, I have a picture of us. This is how we started our ministry. We were flying. See, more than this, we are bounded together by this relationship we have in Christ. And I'll tell you, one of my key passions in ministry is to pass on to every church this notion of being a family. We often go around in our culture going, hey, what's up, bro? That's not how brothers, sisters, those words were used in biblical times when you read it in the Scripture. When Paul wrote, Timothy, my son, he meant it. When Jesus told his disciples, yeah, I know, you guys lost a lot of stuff, families and uh, land and everything, but in this world and the world to come, you'll have hundred brothers, sisters. He meant it. And that's what we are going to talk about this morning when we look at this key verse in chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul writes, his intent, God's intent was that now, through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He had a high idea, vision of the church, much different from how we view church in our culture. Some people think it's irrelevant. Some people think worse. And sometimes it's true that the church has not lived out the true identity in Christ. But Paul had this glorious vision of what the church ought to be. And that's what we are going to talk about this morning. You know, in marriage and family therapy, in counseling field, we use a concept. I also work as a therapist. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the approaches we talk about changing the mindset or way of thinking in order to change behavior. There's another approach called narrative therapy in which we talk about that how do you change the story that you tell yourself in order to change your behavior. As a church... We need to go through that same process of rewriting our story according to what Bible tells us about us in order to behave differently in our society. We need to change our mindset about how we think about the church in general. You see, when you look at this text, verses 1 to 13, Paul is talking about a mystery that has been revealed. In verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For this reason, meaning there's something that Paul wrote before that relates to this text. And we'll get to that in a minute. But if you look at verses 2 through 6, Paul talks about the mystery. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, that is the working of God's grace that was given to me for you. That grace is not something just God gave to you so that you, sinner, could go in heaven and live happily after. That is true. But grace is more than that. Grace empowers us. Grace equips us to live out a particular form of gospel that itself is grace to the world. And that needs planning. And Paul is saying, that's what God entrusted to me. And this is the mystery, he says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. What is that mystery? This is how he defines the mystery. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together in one body, and sharers together, three times together, in the promise in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying, that what God 
did through the cross of Jesus Christ is not just save people, but save people for something. This goes back to the beginning. You look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. When God created humanity, he created them what? In his image, male and female. God, first of all, created a family. It was a good family. And he told this family to go be fruitful. Multiply. You read that in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. That God tells this family to go be fruitful and multiply. What was God saying? Go have more children? No, what God was saying, produce more people in my image. Fill this earth with people who would reflect my image and bring glory to me so that from India to America to ends of the earth, people can go, hey, brother, hey, sister, because they will truly be related to each other because they bear the image of God. That's the whole intention at the beginning. Genesis. He created everything. Then he created human family to reflect his image. The image of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The communal image. The togetherness image. The image of unified humanity. But then something got messed up. You read, the fall came. That Adam and Eve ate that fruit. What was that fruit? The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. It was basically a, a fruit that described moral autonomy. The knowledge to decide what is right and wrong. And they wanted to be like God. They ate that fruit. And the first thing that happened, their relationship with God came to an end. They hid from God. And then their relationship with each other fell apart. Did you know that when you are not properly oriented towards God, your relationship with the rest of the world is impacted? When their relationship with God came to an end, their relationship with each other was impacted. And you see that in Genesis 3.16. I know I'm messing with people who are doing PowerPoint. I'm way off script. And they're going, where is it? I'll give you a minute to look up Genesis 3.16. There you go. Here God tells the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That God created woman from the side, a symbol of equality, not from the foot bone to be walked over, not from the head bone to dominate, but from the side. A sense of equality. And here God says, since you are no longer rightly aligned to me, that sense of equality is gone. Now you guys will struggle for dominance. Your desire 
will be for the man. He will want to rule over him. But guess what? He will rule over you. And thus came abuse. And by the time you get to chapter 4, you see a brother killing another brother. And this guy, Cain, who killed Abel, if you read Genesis chapter 4, becomes the first person to establish a civilization. And human civilization have been born out of so, many, so much bloodshed. This is what happened because of the fall. So what God intended to do through the cross of Jesus Christ was not just save us so we can go to heaven and play harp. <laughs> I don't play harp. <clears throat> but what he intended to do is to reconcile us to God so that we could be reconciled to each other so once again God could create a human family. And that's the manifold wisdom of God that Paul is talking about in this passage. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. If you look back at Ephesians 2, He's talking to the Gentiles. <clears throat> he says to the Gentiles that once you guys were not part of God's family. You know, there was a lot of name calling going on in that culture. In verse 11, he says in chapter 2, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. Meaning, the Jews used to have this name for you guys. This is where, you, where the beginning of, uh, not the beginning, this is where you see a glimpse of all the racial slurs that we see in our culture. It started with something in the Bible too. Jews would call these people uncircumcised. See, when you call someone, address someone with a racial slur, it's easy to hate that person. Because you are using something, a label, to take humanity from that person. And that's what the Jews did. <clears throat> but not only the Jews, the non-Jews, the Gentiles did the same with the Jews. They would call the Jews barbarians. Because they were, un because they were circumcised. And the Gentiles would look upon the circumcision as something horrible. In fact, if you look at a radical book written about 100 to 200 years before Jesus was born, a Jewish book called Jubilees, talks about how, gives a twist to the Genesis story. It talks about how God created all the animals and the humankind, that the humankind, Adam and Eve, were actually Jewish, and the animals were other nations. That book of Jubilee would talk about how killing Gentiles is a sign of righteousness. The same thing you see happening in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, the Taliban theology 
is something similar. But here, Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says that Jesus, through the cross, has broken down that wall of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, Gentiles, you are no longer outsiders, and strangers, but fellow citizens. You are part of the same kingdom with God's people and also members of what? Household. What does that mean? A nice suggestion? No. It's restoration of what God had intended all along to create a human family. You see that in Genesis, and that is what God had done through the cross. See, from Adam's side, God created Eve and told them to go multiply. From Jesus' side, remember, he was pierced from the side, the water and blood flow, the church was created. The bride of the last Adam, Jesus. And Jesus gave his church the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. Make children of God. That is, my brothers and sisters, is the manifold wisdom of God. What does manifold mean? It means multicoloredness. It means many-sidedness. It, the word was used in that culture to describe a robe of many colors like Joseph or a garland. If you go to India, you see all these garlands with many flowers, many colors. That's what manifold meant. And what Paul is saying, that many-sided wisdom of God gave birth to a many group of people comprised of colors of different nationality, ethnicity. What Paul is saying, that God is not colorblind, he's colorful. And this is what Paul is saying is the church. That the manifold wisdom of God is expressed through whom? UN? U.S. government, Indian government, some social organization? No, through the church. To all the principalities and powers that have been keeping people divided. When I came from India in 1992, the, I landed in New Jersey, stayed with my cousin, and I went to New York. I think it was Lincoln Tunnel. As I was coming out, the Twin Towers hit me. It was so beautiful. Ever since I was in India, 
watching movies, Tom Cruise and stuff. I wanted to be in New York. Wanted to see the Twin Towers and there it was. But 20 some years ago that was gone. Mindless hatred ended that Twin Tower and many lives from many nationalities. And we could go, how could people be so evil? Let me tell you, because people are impacted by sin. Where you see terrorists, people see something beyond evil powers using people to keep the world divided. And through the cross, we have the answer, this church. See, I'm all for social justice. Matt and I went to India with International Justice Mission. We visited places where human slavery is fully alive. We have visited Mahima home where little girls rescued from sex trafficking are given a new life. Here's a picture of us. <coughs> this is a good picture. We are wearing t-shirts made by women rescued from sex slavery. And we are speaking to our church at UCC in Davis. So we are all for social justice. But here's something that social justice misses. Social justice can undermine a system and throw people in jail, but social justice can never transform a perpetrator and make that perpetrator a brother and a sister with the victim in the same church. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And that is restorative justice, people. That is the heart of God he does not want sinners to be thrown in hell. He wants to save them, restore them, and turn them into brothers and sisters with other people they have so victimized so that they could become one in the human family of God. Do you think it was easy for Paul to go to those Gentiles? Those Gentiles were the ruling class. They invented, the Roman people invented the Roman Empire invented the worst form of punishment, crucifixion. They crucified Jews. They crucified people. They passed uh, bad tax laws. And then, now you hear, Paul is called to go to those very people to preach the good news of Jesus. And the Jews going, really, are you crazy, Paul? Don't you know they are the enemy? And Paul is saying, no, the real enemy is the sin that keeps us separated. And Jesus died on the cross to do away that sin, to free us from sin, so that we can be reconciled to God and to each other. And this is what the word atonement means. Atonement basically means reconciliation. The word atonement comes from the 16th century English and literally means at one meant. What was once separated is made one again. This is the wisdom of God. And this is the ministry that Matt is called to. Paul says, for this reason I'm, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
He's writing this letter from prison. He went to prison. Why? Because he preached the gospel. And then he goes on to say, I'm a servant of this gospel. Meaning I don't have an option. I serve this gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God, live with God forever, but also be reconciled to each other and form the human family that one day would cover this whole earth. So, as a church, we need to do evangelism. It's not an option between evangelism and social justice. They both go hand in hand. But we also have to live this image of the church in our community. How you relate to each other within this church is important. Are you a family? And this does not just apply to racial reconciliation, but interpersonal conflict, interpersonal relationship. When people get offended, they leave the church. When I do membership class, one thing I tell them, I am giving you the great privilege of being offended. Because then only you learn to grow in Christ. When Jesus Christ said, if someone slaps you on one side of the face, turn the other, was not a nice suggestion. You come to church, you meet people who might be obnoxious, and you get to practice forgiving. It's like Thanksgiving dinner with your extended family. You don't know who the uncle is or what he's going to do, right? But you're still the family. And that is exactly what we are to be. This is the ground where you get to grow in Christ, become Christ-like by asking for forgiveness, by giving, receiving forgiveness, by extending forgiveness, by living together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you imagine, let's say, one of you, a wonderful White man or woman, you go to your office, and not that you have too many Indians around here, but you bump into an Indian, and that Indian go, you used to tell that Indian, oh, you're from India. I have a son who's from India too. And that person might go, you have a son? But you're white. Did you adopt him? No. We belong to the church, and in the church we are a family. He's my son. Just think the type of impact it will have on that person. The same for you Asians. When you go to your office, your gym, or wherever, or if you say, hey, I have a brother who's tall and losing hair. His name is Matt. You go, your brother's name is Matt? Shumit, how can your brother be Matt? You're Shumit. You're Shumit Sen from Kolkata. Then I can share, no. I'm Shumit Sen also in Christ, in Christ Jesus, belonging to a church where I have a brother named Matt. That preaches the gospel. It's very simple. You don't need to hold the postcard saying, Where are you going to be if you die today, heaven or hell? (laughs) 
All you got to do is live this identity of being a family. Amen? Amen. All right. One more story about man and I'm going to end. <laughs> See, when I talked about being a family, doesn't mean we get along all the time. There were times when he irritated the heck out of me. We are driving to Santa Cruz. <laughs> and we are talking. By the way, I'm from Midwest. I lived in the Midwest for 22 years. Flat land, straight streets. We missed the exit. So he said, I know the inside road through the mountains. And, and I ate bad tacos that morning. And on the way, I got sick multiple times. And as I was hurling, he was videotaping me. <laughs> but I'm still here to preach for him. <laughs> That's how we relate to each other in the church. Let us pray. Father God... We just thank you for this great church and great group of people. Lord, as they learn to live as your community, as your people, as they come together calling each other brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, that they will come to reflect your image to the world. My prayer for Matt, that he would be a pastor who would live out that identity, that wisdom of God through the church by bringing people into the kingdom, by turning them into children of God. And I pray that this church would come alongside Pastor Matt and be that church, that very presence within as they seek to minister to people outside. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord of all grace, who redeems our lives from the pit, knit us together to be his family, his children, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And may our fellowship of our family transform our city. God bless you.